0: listening to Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Lillian Vosquez. Our guest is biomedical scientist Dr. Adam Godzik. He is a professor at UC Riverside. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. As the COVID-19 pandemic plays out, the development of an antiviral drug treatment will be crucial as our weapon against the virus, but you and other science leaders have collaborated to attack this issue. Share details about the California-based consortium.
1: This consortium is not necessarily, not only targeting COVID, but is trying to address a much bigger issue of how to quickly develop drugs against viruses. We're Mm. expecting that the situation may happen again in the future, and when it happens, we would have to react very quickly. So... This is just pulling resources from several UCs, uh, UC University of California campuses to develop a pipeline which we would use against COVID, but we also want to have this ready in the case we would face other challenges from other viruses.
0: Okay, so who is the brain power behind attack? And can you share what the acronym stands for ATTACK?:
1: I was not the one who came up with this, with this acronym. Of course, it's a game of having cool acronyms. I don't know who is the single brain behind it, it is a collaboration. It basically started with, you know, a few groups who independently were working on different aspects of antiviral drug discovery talking to each other, and we decided that it would be better if we try to pull resources and, you know, help each other. So the biggest push came from UCSD and UCLA who started large projects themselves. Mm. And they sort of decided to, to, to build it together. So.
0: It's a collaboration of, uh, it's just a California collaboration, is that right?
1: Yes, yes. It's actually not only California. Well, it's California involves five University of California campuses and two uh, national labs, Lawrence Livermore and Sandia.
0: What is the goal and how are they approaching the issues at hand?
1: So in this collaboration, we try to put together the whole pipeline, which would start from, from viral genome analysis, identifying potential targets, doing a lot of front work using artificial intelligence and and computational analysis to identify potentially best targets and both best places on specific targets and then it goes to to sort of you know few directions including both chemists and in vitro testing and and virologists and experimental virologists who would be testing it in in vitro and in vivo because of all this group and and the power of, of university of california campuses we can cover every single step on the way so for instance the two of us who are involved in riverside i'm a computer scientist theoretical biologist working on genome analysis, and Mauricio Pallecchia is a chemist who synthesizes new compounds and tests them in vitro. But even the two of us could not possibly cover all the steps in the drug discovery. But because of all the collaboration all between campuses, we can actually cover all the steps.
0: And what are some of the the early specific research projects that already are in the pipeline? Can you describe some of them and, and what we're learning so far?
1: So at this point, the two most advanced uh Projects are targeting COVID, because some of us have worked on this for a while now. It's targeting protease, the, the main protease of coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, and also targeting nuclear capsid protein. So these two are most advanced in the sense they already are in, I think, even in vivo least um, in animal t- testing, some compounds are. But some others are, are spread along the different stages, and there are some which, which we still on the very early stages where we're trying to identify whether a given protein is actually a good target.
0: As far as you've gotten, what are we learning so far? Good results? Interesting to keep going? Where, where are we?
1: My own belief is that probably with this drug against COVID-2, uh, we would not make it for this epidemic because at this point, others have tried earlier. And at this point, vaccination is the main goal. But I think that because everybody's expecting now that coronavirus would become endemic, and will be with us for a while, we definitely need multiple drugs. We know from experience from other viruses that viruses, especially as quickly evolving as this one, would quickly come up with mutations which, which confer resistance. So, so we have to use cocktails, multiple drugs, against multiple targets. Mm-hmm. So I think we are a little bit behind of some of the, so that, um, you know, there are two or three target gra- drugs which are already on the edge of getting to the market. Time on, you know, on this is more in years. But I hope that down the road they would add to these cocktails, and especially that we're trying to attack multiple targets in, in coronavirus. They would add and become part of this kind of cocktail. What we're learning, I don't know, is a very vicious virus. It evolves extremely quickly. So it's part of my job to actually track to track these mutations and make sure that the drugs we're developing would not be immediately or easily hit, in, hit into, into resistance or hit with the resistance on the evolving
0: virus. Let me reintroduce our guest is biomedical scientist, Dr. Adam Godzik. He is with UC Riverside. So you've alluded to it twice. We've been living in this pandemic, and some of us are hoping, all of us are hoping for a way out of it. And twice you've said that this is going to become or maybe it sounds like this is going to become our way of life. And that's why we have to have the weapons ready to battle it. So you anticipate another pandemic?
1: No, I think, well, again, this is not me. I'm not, not I'm, in this case, we're on the same boat. I'm not you know, predicting future of this pandemic. It's not my, my research area. Okay. But but we see that because it's so widespread, it's very un- unlikely to disappear.
0: Mm-hmm. At
1: the same time, we see with the latest variants that already getting less, you know, the outcomes are not as severe. Right. So it's much more likely eventually to evolve into something like, like a much more serious flu, mm-hmm. where it will be coming up and down periodically, but would not disappear.
0: And so your work with this consortium will allow the weapons, of what we need to combat that, whatever is down the road.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Because I believe, but again, this is my belief based on reading literature, I, it's not my own research, that these waves would, you know, the current system of, of this horrible waves would, would slowly subside. And also because we know that the drugs we're discovering would not be in a clinic in months. Uh, developing of small molecule drugs is, is much more time-consuming than for vaccines. So we know that whatever we develop, time of development will be years. So we would definitely, you know, we wouldn't cure Omicron with this, with these drugs. So we have to look forward and have drugs which would work if the coronavirus persists in two years or something on this time, of, this, this time scale.
0: So what I hear you saying is we're going to be we're quicker at getting a vaccine and it'll, yes. it'll be a little slower to get the drug that might be used when people get sick in the future.
1: Yes. It's not only, again, it's just a general observation. Vaccines are, are easier in certain ways to, to make, and again, this is not necessarily because of science. It's also because of the way drugs are approved. Especially small molecules drugs are much more time-consuming to go to market. And again, it's not my statement. It's just a general observation known to, to everybody in the field.
0: Let me reintroduce our guest is biomedical scientist Dr. Adam Godzik he is with uh, UC Riverside and we're talking about this consortium. When did this this group come together? was it fairly recently or how did it come together?
1: It became formalized probably about two or three months ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, many of us have been talking to each other for a while we just never thought about putting a formal uh, structure to it but you know the sort of birth of this was officially in December where we all met at UCLA, and this happened in early December, and it was an official start of this collaboration. But most of us know each other for a while, and we were talking to each other, so this was just formalized.
0: By making it more formal, you met at UCLA. A group of scientists came together. Is it five, eight? How many scientists were there? And what was that day like or the discussion like?
1: Uh, it was very interesting. There was a meeting. Uh, I think, again, I don't have exact numbers, but I think there were about 30 people mm. out of about 50 we're part of this consortium. We had a series of what we called flash talks, uh, just to make sure that everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Mm. Uh, because, again, they were like clusters of people who, who knew each other, but as a whole group, we have actually never met. We had series of conference calls, and uh, we were meeting on Zoom, but we thought it would be great to actually meet face-to-face, and for everybody had a chance to present. So we had a series of what we called flash talks where everybody was presenting the ideas, and, and we, we had series of informal discussions. We were showing posters to each other. So it was just an effort to fully integrate this group and make sure that that we all share ideas, results, and I think there were a lot of collaborations started at this meeting, and we keep talking to each other. So this was actually like a like a push, yeah, uh, to get to get collaborating closer.
0: Well, it seems by sharing information and not always working in silos, sometimes because we get tunnel vision into what we're doing, this is going to have better outcome for sure.
1: We definitely hope so. I mean, this is why we we all did this.
0: When I was reading the press release, some of the projects that were discussed must come under other of your colleagues and not so much under your research. But it was the artificial intelligence and machine learning drug discovery?
1: Yes. So we divided ourselves into research projects and six research projects uh, just to sort of group it. So I'm in the research project one,
0: mm.
1: uh, which is logically, well, the name, the numbers are, are, are sort of meaningful because they, the project one it's more toward the beginning of the pipeline. So we analyze genomes, compare uh, genomes, track mutations, decide, try to identify new targets, and research projects with higher numbers, focusing more on chemistry and, and testing of actual drug candidates.
0: As a group, did you kind of say, this is very layman purpose, you know, you throw things on the wall and decide which one stick that you really wanted to focus on and decide that as a group?
1: Yes, I mean, in, you know, in drug, one of the known features of drug discovery is that you have, you know, only very few ideas work. Right. So you have to start with many possible candidates and many many possible targets, eventually to succeed with one. Mm. Uh, so we try to go as broad as possible and and then eliminate them early, so we wouldn't invest a lot of time into testing them. This is why a lot of hope sits in AI and computational methods because you can possibly eliminate certain, certain candidates or even targets, if you realize that they probably would not work. And then this way, you don't have to invest much more time-consuming and expensive animal work, for instance.
0: Got it. You're listening to Inland Edition on 919 KVCR. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Adam Godzik with UC Riverside. I'm Nalayan Vasquez, and we'll be right back. If you're just joining us, this is Inland Edition. I'm Lillian Vasquez, and our guest is biomedical scientist Dr. Adam Godzik with UC Riverside. And we're talking about their consortium, attack. The vaccine that we do have now, the three various vaccines that we do have, in my understanding was kind of in record time that we got a vaccine as quickly as we did. And although I'm sure people think that was still a long time, but uh, it seems like it moved relatively quickly. When you make the comparison to a drug, are we looking at two years, three years, four years down the road, or what is your guesstimation?
1: I think we're still moving exceptionally fast, mm-hmm. but even exceptionally fast, for especially for small molecule drugs, is much longer than for vaccines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know what's the record in terms of coming from, from an idea of a drug to, to this drug going to market, but mm-hmm. my bet it would be it was on the order of 10 to 15 years. What we're trying to do is to make it shorter and go down to two, three years, wow. perhaps optimistically. Mm. But but I don't think it, it still happens. So we, we're still hoping for this kind of a breakthrough. I think this current drug, I understand there are two drugs now in the market, at least initially approved. They already have a quite, um, you know, remarkably short time to market, even that they were all started, both started much earlier. So they were just Adopted to cars to 2 This would be from scratch. So again, we're hoping for record, but we know that this, even with this new sense of urgency, it still would be much longer than for vaccines.
0: Right. So what the, I think the key word there was you're starting from scratch. Where when they were working on the vaccine, COVID already, COVID nineteen, or all the different viruses already existed. So they'd already been doing science and study, and they just sped up the process for the vaccine. But you just said you're kind of starting from scratch. so Well, with
1: vaccines, I mean, there are two different things here. With vaccines, they started from scratch in the sense that this vaccine against SARS-CoV-2, which was a new virus. But we just were very lucky that they developed this RNA technology. So the platform was ready, right? Okay. Uh, With drugs, uh, a lot of efforts, uh, you know, I think, as I I understand, the the two drugs on the market, one was repurposed from flu, and one has its roots in SARS, the original SARS from, from what it was, 12 years ago. Uh, there were some efforts on drug discovery started then, which were then abandoned because SARS disappeared mm. and everybody thought it would never come back. Mm. But because they are homologous, they are scl- similar to each other. Some of this, uh, when the new new SARS arrived, some of these old projects have been sort of dusted off and, and could be started earlier because some of the preliminary work was done.
0: And at this point, how do you feel moving forward? The group has come together, you have started your study, your thought process, and what do you see for the future for all?
1: To me, it was a, you know, an almost adventure because I'm a, I'm a theoretical biologist. I Well, it's a long story, but at least in my main research activity, I have never actually was involved in drug discovery. Mm-hmm. What I thought, my research is more conceptual, understanding how viruses evolve, Identifying new strains in viruses, but, but then suddenly I realized that this is real application in, in real drug discovery, very practical problem. So it enjoyed, you know, it, it's, it was great to talk to my colleagues who, who are involved in more transitional research closer to the, to the clinic and realize that yes, there is actually a, a full range of questions and we can help each other. Uh, so I'm enjoying this, this more practical aspects or potentially more practical aspects of my research. And again, the two groups in, in the server side are sit, sitting in the different stages in this discovery. Uh, so I think this was, for me, the biggest positive feeling from this meeting and, and why I think is a great, great idea. I hope it will also be, be successful in terms of, of you know, deliverables you know, to the public in terms of drugs, which will be eventually discovered.
0: Are you also in the classroom? Oh, maybe not right now, but do you have students? Do you teach in the classroom as well?
1: Yes, we both we are both at the School of Medicine or UC, UC School of Medicine, so we both teach.
0: And what do you teach based on this to your students? What are you What are you sharing with your students at this point? What are they going to leave with based on your knowledge of where you are in this project?
1: Well, this project is not directly related to what we teach. Okay. This is what what I teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we teaching We teaching medical students who who you know. Taught to to be physicians. Uh, most of these discoveries, these early stages, happen not in hospitals but in research labs. Right. Uh, but but for instance, I teach epidemiology, mm-hmm. so it, it feels very interesting to teach epidemiology in the middle of the largest pandemic in the last century. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started teaching. I'm not the you know. I moved to university to UCR three years ago. I was not teaching. Before I was in a, in a research institute, and my first class, I, I spent the full one lecture trying to convince medical students that that practice, practicing physicians should know about epidemiology and how important it is for medicine. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they are surrounded yeah. by by epidemics and you know all discussions, which before were very very esoteric. I mean, my first lecture I, when I was talking about modeling and predicting epidemics everybody said what well, what is it all the the nomenclature was completely foreign to everybody now i i just have to you know i can they all know all the nomenclature this is around us we, we read about it you don't have to explain why it's important anymore so it was quite fun uh, but it's not directly related to this because it's more like epidemics i think what mauricio is, is, is teaching in pharmacology is perhaps more more direct to this but again in medical classes we teach, we teach more about existing drugs. It's not so much... Medical students are typically not taught too much about how drugs are being developed. It's a more specialized job, which usually comes later. In You know, you have to specialize in it, and it's this sort of collaboration between physicians and, and research scientists.
0: But it does sound the students are getting a little more well-rounded um, information yes, as they I, go on to their career.
1: Yes, definitely. I try to sneak in a few <laughs> slides for every uh, in my every lecture saying, well, you have to understand the basics. But when nobody's looking, I'm sneaking into <laughs> few a few slides about COVID because it's really, first of all, I anticipate them them being medical students are also being asked by others. Uh, so it's important to, to make sure that they understand all the issues with bundling and, and epidemiology. But also it's sort of hard, you know, it's, it's rare that you teach something which is at the same time on the headlines of yeah. all national So it was definitely quite an adventure in this this context.
0: Ah, But yes, it's
1: very much tied to teaching. We also have a lot of interest from from undergraduate and graduate students. Uh, So we have a lot of interns or people who are trying to help us a bit day-to-day research. So definitely you don't have to explain what epidemiology is anymore.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much out there, isn't it? So thank you very much for your time. It was great learning a little bit more of your collaboration and hopefully where the drugs might be in the very near future. Okay, thanks very much. To find the article that inspired our conversation today, you can simply follow the link we have on the Inland Edition program page at kvcrnews.org slash Edition. Next week for Inland Edition, Wednesday at 2 pm and 6:30, right here on KVCR. To hear this episode and past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org/inland Edition. You can also listen to Inland Edition on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or search for Inland Edition on your favorite streaming service. Inland Edition is a production of KVCR News. Support for this production, including writing and editing, comes from Rick Dulock, Sharina Wad, and David Fleming. And we get technical website and social media support from Tim Seidel, Sean Houlihan, and Natasha Coles. I'm Lillian Vasquez. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.